Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. We appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. You know, I don't think a lot of people believe it, but Second John really means what it says. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. If you don't abide in the teaching of Christ, you don't have God. You can't be saved. I know that the great majority of people who claim to be believers in Christ think, well, all you got to do is believe in Christ as far as what you believe about different things that Christ said and what the apostles and, and the other New Testament prophets say. That doesn't really matter. But Second John verse 9 really means what it says when it says you have to abide in the doctrine, the teaching of Christ to be saved. To have God. You can't be saved without God. The only way you're going to be saved is through the grace and mercy of God. It's this is getting this is serious, folks. God has said that He means business when it comes to Christianity. He really expects us to follow Him and His Word. If you want to be saved, you're going to have to do that. Now, last week we were talking about homosexuality slash gay marriage. A passage I didn't read last week that's clear on this issue is 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, neither homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. So that passage, two verses, starts out by saying the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. It ends with the same thing, will not inherit the kingdom of God, meaning you can't be saved. And two of the sins listed on that list are homosexuals and sodomites, describing both types of male homosexuals. The one who takes the feminine role and the one who takes the male role. Gays are condemned by 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and 10, just as surely as idolaters are condemned. Or drunkards are condemned. Or uh, adulterers or fornicators or thieves are condemned. The Bible is very clear. This is a sin, which means, according to this passage, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Not, not that it's a, the unpardonable sin. No, there's only one unpardonable sin, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Matthew 12, 31 and 32. One can be forgiven for homosexuality if he repents, if he turns from the sin. But as long as a person continues to be a homosexual, this passage says he will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let's contrast that to what the Presbyterian USA Church says about this. And we were talking about that last week. In 1978, and this is a quote from the minutes of the 190th General Assembly, which is 1978 of the United Presbyterian Church in the USA. They were staunchly against homosexuality. They say, and I quote, homosexuality is not God's wish for humanity on the basis of our understanding that the practice of homosexuality is sin. So in 1978, this Presbyterian church said it's being gay. It's not God's wish for humanity that homosexuality is sin. But let's go a little bit further. And we read this quote last week, 1991, which would be 13 years later. This is a quote from Time magazine about that, about that same church. It says the church should, quote, reevaluate its definition of sin to reflect the changing mores of society. Mores mean customs or practices. What the Presbyterian church is saying is, well, if homosexuality, if, if the society thought it was wrong a hundred years ago, then we're going to say it's wrong. But if society now says it's right, we're going to say it's, say it's right because the definition of sin should change to reflect the changing practices of society. Of course, we all know that 1 John 3, 4 defines for us what sin is. It's the transgression of law. Sin is the transgression of the law, God's law. So society does not dictate what sin or not. 
God's word does. And God's word did not change from 1978 to 1991, did it? If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call, 877-655-6755. The lines are wide open, 877-655-6755. So let me finish with that quote in 1991. It says, the church should sound a call for widening the circle of the faithful with gays, lesbians, and heterosexual singles who practice safe sex. We feel that marriage is not what legitimates sexual gratification. That's what the Presbyterian Church was saying in 1991. They're saying that now you can be considered faithful if you're gay or lesbian, or even if you're a heterosexual single who practices safe sex. Well, why did they say that? They had to, to be consistent. Because in 1991, there's no such thing as gay marriage. So if they're saying it's okay to have gay sex, it must be outside of marriage. So they've got to say, to be consistent, if a man and a woman want to have sex before marriage, that's okay too. Because they're saying a man and a man could have sex without marriage, or a woman and a woman could have sex without marriage. It's getting pretty bad here. 1991, they changed from what they said in 1978. They were clearly against this in 1978. They agreed with what the Bible said in 1978. But 1991, just 13 years later, they're saying, no, being gay or lesbian is not a sin. And then let's go to the next quote from the same church, 2010. Presbyterian leaders voted Thursday to allow non-celibate gays in committed relationships to serve as clergy, approving the first of two policy changes that can make their church one of the most gay-friendly major Christian denominations in the U.S. Several major Christian denominations have voted in recent years to allow non-celibate gays to serve as clergy if they're in committed relationships. Among them are the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. So 2010, in 1991, they're saying it's not a sin to have gay sex. 2010, they're not only saying that, but they're saying, and if you're gay, a practicing gay, you can be a clergy member. You can be one of our preachers. So they're going even further, going even further. And then let's skip forward to 2015. Same church, the Presbyterian Church made an historic decision to formally recognize gay marriage and allow same-sex couples to marry in its congregations. The denomination voted to redefine the church's constitutional marriage to include a commitment between two people. How do you think they used to define marriage? Well, they used to define marriage the same way the Bible did, a commitment between a man and a woman. Now they changed that to the definition of marriage to mean a commitment between two people. So two men can marry or two women can marry each other. You see the change in 1978, this Presbyterian church was saying homosexuality is sin. They were staunchly opposed to it. 1991, they're saying it's not a sin. 2010, they're saying not only is it not a sin, but you can be one of our preachers. And 2015, we're going to let you get married in our church buildings. We're going to marry two men together or two women together. Do you see the change from 1978 to 2015? It was kind of gradual, but when you look at it from top to bottom, it was a drastic change. Now, here's the question for my audience. Did the Presbyterian Church have a right to make this change? Now, remember, in 1978, they were going along with what we read in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10. Homosexuality is a sin. But now they gradually changed, and so now they're accepting homosexuality, including letting their, the gays be preachers and having same-sex marriage ceremonies. Did the Presbyterian Church have a right to make that change? I think you know the answer to that. They did not have a right to make that change. Let's read another verse about homosexuality in the New Testament. 
First, if you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are open. Give us a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755 if you have a Bible question or comment. Here's Romans 1, 26 and 27. It says, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. That's talking about lesbians, obviously. And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir which was meet. That last verse is clearly condemning homosexuality, gay men. So we have, in verse 26, lesbians condemned, gay men condemned in 27, very clearly. Not only does it teach that it's a sin, but it teaches in three times it says it's unnatural. I think you could look at the anatomy, anatomy of a male and a female, a man and a woman, and tell what's supposed to go on sexually. As I like to say, you ought to be able to tell even without the Bible that homosexuality is not what's intended. You can even look at the anatomy of the male and female and, t- and tell what is supposed to go on sexually. But it's called a sin. It's called unnatural. Don't let anybody trick you into thinking that gays are born that way. They're not. It's unnatural. Here's another quote, and this is from the Birmingham News, which is about right here in the Bible Belt. It's about two hours south of me. It says, the Episcopal Church approved its first openly gay bishop, the Reverend Gene Robinson. Robinson replied, we have many times departed from Scripture. Robinson cited the examples of ordaining women priests and accepting divorce in the church as departures. And then here's a quote from Robinson. Just simply saying it departs from Scripture does not necessarily make it wrong. So this is a quote from 2003. The Episcopal Church is ordaining their first gay bishop about 20 years ago. And, and the bishop justifies it this way. Hey, we quit following the scripture when it comes to women preachers and divorce a long time ago. So why can't we allow gay marriage or homosexuality, even though it's a departure from scripture? It's the old two wrongs make a right argument. You know, we quit following the Bible uh, and started allowing women preachers, starting allowing divorce. That was a departure from scripture. Well, so we ought to be able to allow homosexuality, even though it's a departure from scripture. And then he says, just simply saying it departs from scripture does not necessarily make it wrong. Here's what's going on here. Not only is the is the Episcopal Church changing on homosexuality and gay marriage, not only are they changing, but they're admitting they're not going by the Bible anymore. You may think all these churches teaching different things, but they all claim to be going by the Bible. That's absolutely false. They're not going by the Bible, and they admit that. They say, and I quote, just simply saying it departs from Scripture does not necessarily make it wrong. Who decides what's wrong? Well, I guess it's the Episcopal Church instead of the Scripture. <laughs> of course, we all know what should be deciding what's right and wrong is the Scripture, as I read, 1 John 3, 4. Sin is the transgression of the law, God's law. Scripture defines for us what's right and wrong, and since it teaches homosexuality is wrong, that makes it wrong. But the only way this Episcopal Church can say that homosexuality is right is if they say we're not going by Scripture anymore. Uh, Mr. Hinton from Missouri. Go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, I want to make a comment. Um, we're, we're from Middletown, New York, and I'm calling, I'm saying that 
the, we're, the Bible says we're not supposed to add or take away from the scriptures. And we're living in the times now where people are taking away from the scriptures and adding their own view to the scriptures. That's certainly so true. In Revelation 22, 18 and 19, lets us know that we're not to add to or take away from the scripture. You're so right. Good point. Yes, we are totally against it. I appreciate your call. We got to we got to stand up for what the Bible says, no matter what's going on in our society, don't we? That's right. That's right. Appreciate your call. Keep listening, sir. Somebody's got to be wrong. That's exactly right. Appreciate it. You have a good evening. You too, God. Now, here's another quote about homosexuality. This is from the United Methodist Church, the Washington Post, January 3rd. It's about the United Methodist Church. It says, leaders said they had agreed to allow the United Methodist Church to permit same-sex marriage and LGBT clergy for the first time in its history. Well, they're admitting that they're changing. This is going to be something they're going to do for the first time in their history. What is it they're going to do? Allow, permit same-sex marriage and get this. LGBT clergy. Can you imagine going to church? Maybe you are singing hymns and it's time for the preacher to come up preach. And it's a man pretending to be a woman, dressed like a woman, thinking of herself as a woman. What, what's called transgender? What would you do if all of a sudden the person that got up to preach the sermon was a transgender, like somebody like Bruce Jenner? Well, I'd probably hightail it out of there, would you? I'd probably talk to him and try to let him know that the scriptures are totally against that. But I wouldn't remain with that church very long. After telling them that this is against Scripture, if they weren't going to change, I would leave there. So the Methodist church is going to allow same-sex marriage and LGBT clergy? Can you imagine? Here we have something that's called a church. That means they're supposed to be following God's Word, and they're going to allow same-sex marriage and LGBT, LGBT clergy. It's pretty absurd, isn't it? Did these churches, like the Lutheran church, the Presbyterian Church, the Episcopal Church, and the Methodist Church have a right to change. And, and they used to stand for the truth against homosexuality, but now they've compromised and now they say it's okay. Did they have a right to make that change? Obviously not. I think the, all of us here know they didn't have a right to make that change. Now, if you have a Bible question or comment, I want you to give us a call at 877-655-6755. Now, I'm going to try to make application of what we just learned. Let's talk about some other issues here. Because, of course, we're all agreed they didn't have a right to change on homosexuality. But what about on other issues? The churches have a right to make a change. Matthew 19.9, Jesus said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now, you correct me if I'm wrong, but that's basically saying that I've been married to Carol for 34 years. If Carol were to cheat on me sexually, I'd have the right to divorce her, according to this verse. But if she doesn't, I don't have a right to divorce her. If I do divorce her, say for incompatibility, and marry Betty, for example, then I would be, Jesus said that marriage to Betty is adulterous. It's adultery. Now, what would I have to do if I want to repent of that adultery and get forgiveness from God? Well, I couldn't just say to God, well, God, I'm sorry that I'm committing adultery, but I plan, by the way, I'm planning on continuing to stay in this marriage and commit adultery with Betty. I couldn't do that. Any more than two gay men could say to God, I'm sorry, but we're planning on uh, continuing in this gay sexual relationship and expect God to forgive them. No. Getting forgiveness for either one of those sins, homosexuality or adultery, requires termination 
of the relationship. Just like two gay men who are married would have to get out of that relationship to get right with God. If I've divorced Carol for, for the not for fornication and married Betty, that marriage to Betty's adultery, I'm going to have to get out of that marriage, terminate that marriage with Betty, quit that adultery in order to get forgiveness for it. You got to be forgiven to uh, uh, repent, to be forgiven of your sins. Remember, Peter told uh, believers in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. So when you're baptized, you're going to get the remission of sins. But of course, that baptism won't do any good unless you repent first. You got to make up your mind you're going to quit these sins, like homosexuality, like adulterous marriages. Now, if you go back 75, 80, 100 years ago, every church stood for the truth against homosexuality, and every church stood for the truth against adulterous marriages. Every church would say, look, if you divorce and remarry, Unless the divorce is for fornication, if you want to be right with God, be considered a faithful member of this church, you're going to have to terminate that second marriage and seek reconciliation for the first marriage. You go back 100 years ago, every church stood for that. Now they've almost all compromised. I estimate that less than 5% of the churches across the United States and Canada will teach the truth on this is that these adulterous marriages have to be terminated just like gay marriages have to be terminated. They've all compromised. Now we're all agreed these churches don't have a right to change and compromise and allow gay marriage. Well, did they have a right to change and allow adulterous marriages? No, they didn't have a right to do that either. Yet there's a 95% chance that the church you're in allows adulterous marriages. 95% in my estimation of the congregations across America and Canada allow adulterous marriages. Now, not near that percentage, maybe only 50% would allow a gay marriage, but 95% would allow adulterous marriage. Well, adulterous marriage is just as bad as a gay marriage. Churches don't have a right to compromise on that either. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. Let's talk a little bit about the, the addition of infant baptism. If you go back to, to the first century, there was no such thing as infant baptism. We can prove this. From Acts 8, 35 through 37. It says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him, talking about the eunuch, Jesus. So he's preaching Jesus to the eunuch. Philip is. Something in preaching Jesus, he must have mentioned baptism, because verse 36 reads this way. And as they went on their way, they came into a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? The eunuch wants to be baptized. 37. And Philip said, If thou believest, with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Philip, the eunuch wants to be baptized. And Philip said, if you believe, you may. May what? May be baptized. Which implies necessarily that if you don't believe, you may not be baptized. Conclusively proving that infant baptism is unscriptural because infants are not mature enough to believe. This verse says, if you believe, you may be baptized, implying that if you don't believe, you may not be baptized. An infant can't believe. Jesus said in Mark 16, 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You've got to believe in Christ before baptism becomes valid. Yet a lot of churches out there, Methodist, Presbyterian, Catholic, Episcopal, you name a lot of churches that have practiced infant baptism. If you go back 2,000 years ago, no church practiced infant baptism. Did these churches have a right to change and start baptizing babies? Not any more than they had a right to change and start accepting gay marriage, did they? You see my point? 
I think we all in this audience can see that it wasn't right for these churches to compromise and accept homosexuality and gay marriage like the Presbyterian Church USA. But why do we think it's all right to change and compromise and accept adulterous marriages or infant baptism? Well, what about uh, women preachers? A lot of churches have compromised on that. I mean, if you go back 100 years ago, not a single church in America would allow women to preach from their pulpit. But now I'm told that 75% of churches allow it. But let's read 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. It says, let your women keep silence in the churches for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, nobody's opposed to allowing a woman to lead a ladies' Bible class. We're talking about when we leave the Sunday school classes and come into the church, a whole church into one place, the church assembly, the church service, can a woman deliver the sermon? This verse is very clear. It says, let your women keep silence in the churches. It's not permitted unto them to speak. It's a shame for women to speak in the church. I can't think of a passage that's more clear on any subject than this passage is is on the women preachers issue. It's not ambiguous at all. It teaches the women should not be preaching from the pulpit in the church service. Yet I'm told, even though this is so clear, 75% of congregations across America will allow it. You go back 100 years ago, none of them would have done that, but they've all compromised. Did they have a right to compromise and change and start allowing women to preach from the pulpit? No. Not any more than they had the right that they had the right to change and allow gay marriage or adulterous marriages. You see the point? We can't just say, well, it's wrong to change on a few things, but it's right to change on these other things. No. As the announcer at the beginning said, whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. If you don't abide in the doctrine of Christ, you don't have God. You can't be saved. Whether you're talking about gay marriage, adulterous marriages, or women preachers, if you don't abide in the teaching of Christ, you don't have God. And we all know you can't be saved without God. If you have a Bible question or comment, call us at 877-655-6755. How about this idea of once saved, always saved? What a, what a terrible doctrine. Not only is it false, but it actually encourages immoral living. The Baptist church will say, oh, you can't fall from grace. It's impossible for a Christian to fall from grace. But Galatians 5, 4, for example, says, Christ has become of no effect unto you. Whosoever you are justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. I thought somebody said you can't fall from grace. Well, this verse says here are some people that did fall from grace. Now, you cannot fall from a tree unless you're in a tree to start with. You cannot fall from grace unless you're in grace to start with. So this verse is talking about people who were in grace, they were saved, but because they were trying to be justified by the Old Testament law, buying things from the Old Testament law, like circumcision, or it could be the Sabbath or, or anything like that from the Old Testament law, it says they had fallen from grace. They lost their salvation. That and about three or four dozen easily, that many passages, conclusively prove that once saved, always saved is false. Yet churches keep on teaching it it has, there's not a single verse that, that helps teach that, 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 that teaches once saved, always saved. It's just wishful thinking. People want to believe once saved, always saved. So they believe it and they teach it. They want to live any old way they want to and still be saved. 
It doesn't have anything to do with the Bible. The Bible's clearly against it. Did they have a right to change? If you go back to the first century, there wasn't any such thing as this once saved, always saved theory. No church taught that. But over the last several centuries, many churches have changed and compromised and started teaching once saved, always saved. As I said, not only is it a false doctrine, it encourages loose living because look what happens. If you're a preacher and you start preaching, hey, you can live any old way you want to and still be saved. Once saved, always saved. And you keep preaching that over and over and over again. What is your audience, most of them, likely to start doing? Well, they're going to start living any old way they want to because you told them they can and still be saved. So this is not only a false doctrine, it leads to immoral living. That's why it's so bad. We don't have the right to change on gay marriage or adulterous marriages or once saved, always saved or women preachers or infant baptism. You have to abide in the doctrine of Christ to have God. Second John 9, on all of these things, we have to not only believe in Christ, but we have to follow his teachings. Jesus is the author of eternal salvation to all them that obey him, Hebrews 5, 9. If you want to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me, call or text me at 256-682-9753.